You're listening to Intellectual Erection, a place where we talk about the naughty. Oh, to stimulate your thinking. You're listening. You're listening to Intellectual Erection. Intellectual, intellectual, intellectual Erection. Передачу, где мы говорим о диспутам, Welcome back to another episode of Intellectual Erection with your host Patrick. Today I interview Kat, although I think this kind of turns into a situation where she interviews me. I guess you'll have to be the judge. But just a friendly reminder, listen, subscribe, like, and leave that review for a chance to win that $50 Amazon gift card. Enjoy the interview. We're here cooking with butter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are. We're awkwardly introducing an inside joke. That's <laughs> um, I'm actually sitting here with Kat, who is a special guest. We're sitting here in Toronto. Uh, about to talk about some sexy stuff. Yeah, super sexy stuff, you guys. This is Katkova, aka Butter, and you are now cooking with butter. <laughs> and I told her she should probably look into a career being a sex phone operator. Although I don't know if there's much demand for that anymore. I don't. I don't know, but I have a few friends with some experience in it. Ooh. Uh, yeah, that's right. Um, what I've heard is that it's a lot more lucrative when you're a woman, or you yeah. can fake a female voice, whatever that means. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, um, why don't we why don't we go into what you do? Because that's what that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. Okay. You do some interesting stuff. Yes. So I identify as a couple and individual therapist who is specializing in sex therapy. And no, that does not mean that I provide sexual healing in the traditional sense to my clients, but we do discuss issues of sexuality, uh, a wide variety, and um, Primarily what sets me apart from, I think, other individual and couple therapists is my comfortability with the topic of sexuality, which many people have a really hard time with, interestingly. Well, why, why are you so uncomfortable with sex? I don't know. Like, I think I grew up watching Sue Johansson just <laughs> kind of normalize it, really. Right. And I remember being 10 years old, just chilling in my parents' living room, alone i don't know what the heck they were up to but the show only came on around like 11 yeah um at night and so i it was, was around the time with ed the sock as well ed the sock, yeah, yeah another one of my favorite there was people. a lot of like late yes. night sexy sexual yeah there was so my parents did a really like piss poor job of keeping me away from that kind of stuff or like parental control i don't think that was the time they were immigrants so i don't think they would they have probably like did a good job out. in making you into a robust sexual human being uh, maybe yeah um, that coupled with just like really being exposed to educational sexuality from a really young age and just having it had like a, a huge impact on me like I remember I wanted to be a sex therapist when I was 10 wow yeah and now here you are and now here I am yeah never shared that with people though they I, I thought that they would have thought I was like a freak you know hmm 
Yeah, there was a time when that was the case. Now it's now things are changing. There's like a tide tide shift. Do you think? Yeah, I think in like certain cultures for sure, but like in my own, I don't know. You're yeah. Romanian, mm. right? Yeah. So what's like, what's your culture's relationship with sexuality and and expressions, verbal sort of discussions about very sexuality? traditional patriarchal. Um, also, obviously, guys get a lot get away with a lot more than women. Mm-hmm. It's becoming more open. I think feminism is starting to to blossom a little bit, but definitely. Nowhere near the level that I've experienced here in, in Toronto mm-hmm. and in North America where, you know, we're a little bit more open here, more progressive, definitely leaning more towards tolerance, especially towards, um, uh, you know, varieties mm. of, of sexuality, <laughs> of sexual expression, Variety. gender expression, yes. which I think in Romania is is at the very early stages. I don't I don't think there's much acceptance. Um, there's no pride parade and mm-hmm. it, I think there was an attempt at one several years back and there were rocks thrown at people. That's, not, yeah, not, same thing happened you know. in Serbia. That's yeah. like my not yeah, yeah, not a great not a great place for for people that are uh, are not non-monogamous uh, that are not uh, heteronormative. Mm-hmm. So there it's not a very progressive place, but Okay. Yeah. So here you find that like poly relationships are more acceptable and there's not that same double standard that you've recognized within your traditional culture. But would you say that there's still any kind of problems with um with just like misogyny or you know confines around female sexuality even within the poly and kink community? Yeah, and, you, and <clears throat> here, insofar as I've spoken to um, people in the poly kink BDSM communities, um, nobody has uh, a solid experience of nothing but um, good interactions. Okay. So everyone I've met has had some hiccups, some... Um, potentially terrifying traumatizing or at least harmful experience in in their you know the process of being uh, poly kinky um, or with the BDSM community so I think there's a lot of work there's a lot of work to be done because it's still relatively new um, as much as it's tolerated doesn't mean that it's uh, accepted doesn't mean that it's safe yet uh, mm-hmm. and doesn't mean that it that there's enough um, I don't know, I guess I would say um, norms in place for people entering these spaces to to know exactly how to behave and know how to interact with others. So it's still at the stage of, of early learning, which is beneficial in some senses, but it's it can also be uh, scary. Okay. So let me ask you something like if I like I want to be able to suggest or open an invitation for open a discussion around polyamory mm-hmm. and kink relationships for some of my clients that come in for couples therapy who are finding that they're having issues, they're not getting their needs met, their sexual needs or emotional needs met or whatever. What are some of the most common issues that come up in 
polyamorous or kink relationships that I might be able to maybe warn my clients about or at least take into consideration when I'm making those recommendations. I think the first thing that I've gathered from a lot of people that I've spoken to is that polyamory is not a solution to your relationship problems. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times couples will will try to open up the relationship to either monogamish, ethical non-monogamy, polyamory, polygamy, uh, polyandry, whatever it is, uh, whichever way they try to open up their relationship, uh, a lot of the times it's a it's a symptom, or rather a reaction to a to a problem that they're attempting to resolve, mm-hmm. and I don't think that this um, that polyamory is a solution to a problem uh, for a couple. Okay, so sometimes the actual problem may be disguised as something that yeah. it's not. But, yeah. but there are things within the the poly community that I think monogamous couples can learn from. Okay, such and as? Such as communication. True. One of the biggest things that, that has come across with, with um, these interviews that I've done with people is the level of communication necessary to maintain... Uh, a polyamorous relationship which requires constant negotiation about needs, support, desires, jealousy, all these sorts of issues that are typically very well embedded in the normative schema of monogamous relationships wherein you go into a relationship with preconceived notions, with, uh, with a lot of um, experience or uh, one could say a priori experience. So say it's your first relationship and it's monogamous and you haven't had any monogamous relationships before, you have the normative experiences that you've seen in your culture, in pop culture, in your family, in your friends, in your peer group, and you emulate that behavior. And it's easy because the schema is set out for you. This is how it's supposed to be. This is how jealousy works. This mm-hmm. is how partnerships work. This right. is how sex works. There's a script for everything. Right. So it's all available to you, whereas with, um, with um, poly relationships, everything is negotiable. Therefore, communication is key, and it's constant, and it's uh, a constant process of negotiation. So it's very much open-ended in that sense, which is very helpful because you get to learn a lot about communication, about being open with somebody, about being vulnerable, about letting your guard down, about... Um, exploring what people desire what they need what they want and how to cope and deal with things like jealousy with discomfort um, with your partner seeing other people with sex and all of these things come up into discussion which may not be so forward in monogamous relationships at least in my experience and many of the people that i talk to okay so so it's like this hot topic thing that some people are like kind of getting interested in like some people who may be monogamous or even monogamous they kind of have heard about it and they've got some problems in the relationship they may kind of turn to it but do you think that there's some danger in introducing the idea of polyamory in your relationship when there's already problems that haven't been addressed yeah that's what i was getting at i I don't think that it's a good solution to, to solve those problems because because polyamory is such a negotiable um, status, mm-hmm. um, it requires often that people come in with uh, those kinds of values as part of their relationship chemistry. 
So if I meet you and you and I are both interested in polyamory, both you and I are interested in, let's say, non-hierarchical um, ethical non-monogamy, which involves some form of um, commitment, uh, but maybe you also want to have some relationship anarchy. Maybe we both agree not to live together. Maybe we both agree to uh, specific dates when we see each other and then uh, periods where we do not to build up desire, to build up whatever. If those come into play from the beginning, it builds part of the chemistry of the relationship. Whereas if you've, you're already used to monogamy, you're used to maybe a live-in situation with that person, you share finances, you share resources, maybe you share a pet, maybe you share family relations, you're going to have to break down all those structures and re... Uh, Revision. Re well, yeah, you just have to reconstruct them yeah. under under new, um, new terms, which is very difficult. And if you already have a problem in, in the relationship and you're trying to solve it, you're just going to be introducing more problems into the relationship, I find, uh, that is going to be very difficult to, to deal with because now all of a sudden you have to negotiate everything and I don't think that that's a very helpful problem-solving uh, process. I think that it can be done. I'm not going to be uh, on the end and say uh, that it can't, but I think that a lot of times when you open up the relationship as a problem-solving strategy, you're going to run into a lot more issues that you didn't anticipate. And it's unfortunate for the people that truly have polyamory in their hearts maybe it's on the back burner mm -hmm. maybe it's something that they've always wanted to, to experience maybe it's truly inherent to their being it would be unfortunate that the first time that they try it is within a monogamous relationship um, and it ends up failing and then they think that the the structure of polyamory fails for them and it's not the fact that they tried it within uh, a monogamous setting where you know it just it didn't have a chance <clears throat> so in that sense, let me flip the script. <laughs> I'm supposed to be interviewing you, by I the know. way. I told you, <laughs> well, this yeah. is a job hazard. It's a job hazard. Yes. You're used to interviewing people all day. I am, yeah. Which is good. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't really shared much of what I... But, it, but it's a good point, I think, for you to be asking me questions at this point because I've interviewed enough people to be able to give feedback from uh, a collective source of experience. Yeah. Right, which is interesting. I mean, which is useful for me in my work, right? Because mm. I have couples coming to me um, complaining of either polyamorous relationships that didn't go right, or people who are interested in wanting to open their relationship up but are worried about what the consequences might be, um, and just people that have always identified as polyamorous but have like come across a lot of stigma mm. uh, and judgment from potential dating partners because of that. Right. Which I find really interesting. It happens a lot, right? Yeah. Um, so why don't I ask you... Cooking with butter. Catcoa cooking with butter. Why don't I ask you, what piqued your interest in, in uh, the poly kink or BDSM communities? I mean, so this is really interesting because... By the way, I, I, I met Kat uh, when she was doing a poster presentation uh, during her last year of her BA 
We're both at the same university, and she had a presentation on grinding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no. So not bruxism, as is when you grind your teeth when you are sleeping at no, no, night. No. Grinding, grinding against grinding. other human beings. Grinding against other human beings, getting freaky, mm. getting nasty on the dance floor. Um, and I suppose that sort of like interest in grinding kind of melt into my interest in polyamory just because um, some of the results from that study that I did when I was, oh my god, in my last year of my BA, which seems like forever ago, mm. um, is that we found that women who were sort of initiating grinding activities with men on the dance floor, they were perceived by other people as being very sexually promiscuous, very masculine in nature, and that this was sort of a negative thing or, or something that spoke about their sexuality or their morality, rather, in a negative sense. My favorite kind of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> those good, just judgmental people. Um, no, 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 the people engaging in that behavior. Ah, engaging, yeah, yes. The immoral, promiscuous... The sluts. Yeah, right? I love the sluts. Yeah, and so this idea that women who were um, sexually promiscuous, or at least perceived to be that way, could be considered um, by others uh, to be sort of negative in morality or just perceived negatively was very interesting to me and was sort of my that was sort of like what I expected the results to show mm. uh, when there's such an over sexualization I think in our culture um, especially when it comes to men's sexuality that would actually indicate that uh, women women being like super promiscuous was a good thing like women being sexually available would be a good thing for men mm -hmm. and so I was intrigued by the idea of polyamory because I think it for me it integrated what I believe to be men's desires and women's desires for many different sexual partners novelty which studies have shown that women are like very very attracted by or turned on by into like one perfect union sorry the women are attracted by what novelty novelty yeah so um studies show that actually it's women not men who in long-term relationships start thinking about being with different partners so they kind of get more they get bored more easily than men do mm. in relationships, which kind of goes against what we believe to right. be true, right? Mm -hmm. um, and there are many different cultures in the world where, in fact, women who are trying to conceive, and this is these are sort of isolated communities, they don't have a lot of access to education, they're kind of like old Aboriginal communities, um, particularly in South America where women who are trying to conceive will try to sleep with as many different partners as possible so that they can, in one partner, find humor. In another mm. partner, find the quality of intelligence. In a third partner, find the quality of uh, being very physically strong and therefore have the belief that by sleeping with all of these different men, their child has a better chance of inheriting all of these different qualities. Right. So they don't really have the knowledge of how, I mean, conception really works where you're just right. inheriting genetics Biologically from one person. Biologically it doesn't work, but... Yeah, <laughs> but sort of their, their idea is like the more 
men I sleep with, the more qualities my child there, can there have. There could also be an underlying biological factor to that, which is that your your chances of being fertilized are higher, obviously, if you if Absolutely. you it's a practice good sex more often with multiple partners. One of them is bound to be fertile and inseminate you versus trying repeatedly with one uh, one source. And that's right. That also goes for for men, I guess. Is that was the old um, the old what's it called evolutionary theory? That's right? the old evolutionary theory that men just want to sort of spread their seed, mm -hmm. but it's often perceive that women need to just rely on one partner mm -hmm. in order to conceive with them and then have them sort of be there throughout child or throughout pregnancy right. and childbirth and then rearing the child instead of like you've mentioned mm -hmm. trying to not put all of their eggs in one basket mm -hmm. and trying to be as sexually promiscuous as possible in order to conceive as well this is the one thing that that's always interesting to me is is um these biological arguments and how people tend to have a, a very authoritative perspective on the biological argument. If it was yeah, such definitely. that the biological argument commanded that we have sex in specific ways to promote, um, I don't know, uh, progeny, that that by default is the normal, natural, and necessary way to, to proceed, which isn't the case because we're living in a complex, socialized uh, society full of norms that we get to construct and reconstruct. And our behaviors are not dictated by our, bi by our biology. They may be influenced by our biology, but we certainly go against biology all the damn time. Hence, yeah, definitely. Hence, yeah the, the, the variety of sexual um, activities available to us. Masturbation has no biological uh, relevance, but we we continue to pursue it, and we have pornography, and we have so many resources available for people to to experience pleasure and to engage in that uh, consensually with others, using protection and uh, to engage with it in non procreative uh, uh, ways with uh, you know same sex yeah. partners or with infertile partners oh, or we're with just dolphins, object. right? Yeah, we're dolphins so, that are just after sex. For so it's, yeah. So at some point, <laughs> it's like fuck the biological argument. It has its place in 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 explaining maybe the roots of some behaviors, but at the same time we are conscious beings that have created odd fucking things we've created like i'm looking at my wine glass right now and i'm having a, a white <laughs> right, wine here we've been like, drinking we, yeah, fyi we created, we created a this specific wine glass with a stem that we hold by the stem because we want to protect the temperature of the fucking contents of the glass and we give it a bell shape because that's allows the aroma to, to go up our nose while we sip the, the wine inside. Wow. This is mind-blowing information. I did not know this. Well, it, it's, it's irrelevant because it's all normative. We do all this shit because we want to have certain experiences that are, that are superfluous to our, to our uh, ability to evolve or to, or to our ability to procreate. There's nothing evolutionary right. about me sipping this wine such as it is in this particular bell-shaped glass holding it by the stem. This is a preference, this is a privilege, and this is something that's constructed and co-constructed in society. And there's so much of this that goes into our, our sexual behaviors that we don't need to rely on explanations of normal, natural, and necessary to try no. to you know, exercise, explain, um, or uh, eliminate some of our sexual behaviors. Now it's a matter of 
you know, preference. It's a matter of exploration and moving forward with, I don't know. Yeah, so I think experimentation. Like, oh yes, mm-hmm. experimenting with butter. Um, so no, one of the like something that you just brought up, like really eloquently, I think, is that humans are attracted to a simple theory mm-hmm. when it comes to anything, literally anything and yeah. and everything. It's a heuristic shortcut. We it's want a that heuristic shortcut. Very well put. So uh, when we're very 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 young, we uh, categorize people into male, female, black, white, whatever. Mm. These are shortcuts that we take to make sense of the world. To, and when we make sense of the world, we feel like we're in control because we can um, influence and impact our environment to suit our needs and to ease our anxieties. So I think we're very attracted to the idea that we know exactly how things are and are very secure about the way things are um, to control our own sense of um, being very temporary in this world being super anxious insecure that like we're on this like rock that is just like spinning around the sun like super super fast and we could literally just like go at any minute we could just be like vanish at any minute so we'll hang on to anything that helps us make sense of the world. And one of those things is sexuality, um, you know, the way things are, like the history of human evolution. So evolutionary theory is just like a very, very um, simple and, and beautifully simple mm. basic theory of everything. That's why people like it so That's much. That's why people like it so much. Yeah. They want to be able to explain their human behaviors as rooted in, in, in human evolution. Yeah, but as you said, there's so many things that contradict There's so many variables. Evolution. That, yeah, and that's why it's irresponsible. Theories. It's irresponsible for any scientifically driven mind. Anybody that's a fan of science that says, you know, I like to, to have a proper hypothesis and test it, and then I want to be able to have a result. Well, if you're responsible, a responsible thinker, it's not that you want to get the result that you desire. It's that you will accept any result that comes as that's right, yeah. As a, as a don't formal, have that bias. Yeah, as a formal test of your hypothesis, and that includes the methodology. How do you want to construct your your test? And if you're going to construct a test, then you you better include all the variables that are necessary to make it as robust, pardon me, as possible. Which, in cases like evolutionary psychology are nearly impossible. You cannot possibly take into account all the variables along the way that have influenced the dramatic shift in, in behaviors. Um, you can come up with nice theories, and I don't want to discount the entire practice of evolutionary psychology because I, I, I'm, also, no. I'm also prone to it. I, I'm also, but I'm also prone to Freud, and I like Freudian ah. theory. And I, and I like his... his, his, his weird way of thinking about sexuality i like it It doesn't have to be true i like the story it's like i i might like the story of this wine but it you know it might not be true it's the vineyard of whoever and they you know put in whatever effort as long as there's enough suggestion for me to enjoy this wine i'll enjoy it absolutely and that's the thing like we we use we as like academics or like practitioners whatever we use theory to ground Mm-hmm. ourselves in our work to be able to have a direction going forward right. so if it's if that means like creating a new theory t- 
testing a hypothesis that we have, at least it's grounded in something that makes sense. Because otherwise right. it would just be completely nonsensical right. and you would question whether it's valid or not. So you need anchors. It's an anchor. That's a really good word. Yeah, something really to, to, to hold you down it. so you don't feel like you're spacing out all the time. Absolutely. Yes. So um, I guess you've explained a little bit of why you're interested in the, in the poly community. Um, is there any attraction for you at all to the kink BDSM communities? Is that something that's on your palate? Yeah. So, yes. Why? Why not? Yes. I, I don't know any of this information, by the way. So this is like yes. what you're saying I'm hearing for the first time <laughs> as well. No, I mean, I'm, I'm sure like through our interaction so far, like you've sensed that I may be somehow just like interested in it or attracted to it like the things that I post on like my Facebook page or whatever mm. um, and so I think like it's interesting like I think really the moment where I realized why I had always been sort of orienting myself towards learning more about kink um, came at a time where I attended a conference a playground conference in Toronto recently so it was I can't remember if it was in like March or April or whenever it was this year. Anyways, it was great. The, the I think the theme was like why talking about sexuality is so important. Mm -hmm. And one of the talks was on kink. And I think another talk that was happening right at the same time was on Tantra or tantric mm. practices which I've also been very interested in so I kind of had to make this like I had this like huge ethical dilemma I'm like oh my god okay like am I gonna go to the like tantric thing or am I gonna go to the kink thing and I ended up going to the kink thing even though my uh, therapist colleagues who had attended the conference with me all went to the tantric talk I was like okay so like what's wrong with me why am I like this girl it's like into like weird like ideas about like choking and like breath play and slapping and all this stuff I'm like what is actually wrong with me and then I was like relax like chill you're super interested in this for many reasons <laughs> uh, and then I attended this talk I saw this woman who was giving the talk do a demonstration on slapping uh, what else did she do I think she did like breath play stuff too and when she was doing the slapping demonstration, she asked a few volunteers to go up and she sort of started slowly asking people to rate uh, where her slaps were that she was sort of like trying from like, you know, very light to a little bit harder on a scale of one to 10. Mm -hmm. And so she started with people who were like novices who had never been slapped before and through watching this whole demonstration, I realized like what she was actually doing was she was negotiating very specifically and in detail what that experience felt like to another person, what was welcome, what wasn't welcome, what their <coughs> comfort levels were. And I realized that this was such an important part of sexuality. And I think for many people, like a missing part of sexuality that, in, that included so much communication. It always does, yeah. You know, like so much negotiation, so much communication that I think, especially, and I think especially for heterosexual couples, is missing because that script that we talked about earlier is already kind of like set out for them. They know right. exactly kind of like how it goes, you know, like oral sex for the guy, maybe oral sex for the girl, like if she's lucky and it's like an ideal situation <laughs> and the guy likes going down and then penetration, 
I don't know how many minutes of it, maybe ideally, you know, like the girl comes first and then the guy comes very shortly after or in like a perfect <laughs> world, like they both come at the same time, which doesn't right. happen very often. Although it did very recently with a very handsome Frenchman. <laughs> I'm still trying to get over. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't tell you that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part you're going to ask to edit out when you're sober. <laughs> I am very sober right now. Are you? I am very composed right now. No. This is you composed. This is me falling okay, apart. Good. Um, mm, but, wonderful. But I think the point that I'm like trying to get at is what attracts me to kink which I don't think people see from the outside, like, the, like that they would initially be attracted to, is actually the amount of work that goes into negotiating these play situations mm -hmm. where people are um, consenting to situations that feel very erotic to them um, and feel safe, even though like from the outside it looks very different from what's right. actually happening. So are so you... So like that. Are you... Um what are you what are you attracted to in in the whole kink bdsm play are you do you get turned on by watching other people do it that that's a yes or no okay. so i'm gonna go on a binary for that one just a yes or no so i can like do it's I, a lead up do i do i like watching people experience kinky situations in porn uh porn i've never life. actually seen it in real life okay so do you, do you watch kinky bdsm porn i do okay. i have a favorite porn star his name is Derek Pierce. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was expecting a female porn <laughs> No, I actually sent him an IG message at one point. Like, you told me about this. Toronto. <laughs> you told me about this. Um, okay, so. Um, so I, I do, I do watch it from time to time, but there's a point where I'm like, this is freaking me out. But where do you fantasize yourself being in that scenario? Are you the, are you more submissive, more dominant? I, I, I see it going, go. no, so first Snow. of all, <laughs> no. first of all, this isn't the first time that I've gotten that question. And it's funny because I think people assume that I'm like a submissive for some reason. I'm not really sure why that is. Even it's, though a, it's a gender thing. Typically, it might be a gender thing. Typically, it's assumed. Yeah. Yeah. And but you could be dom you could be a sub you could be a switch well here's the thing so like i think i would be a switch um yeah. and the reason i say that and maybe even like more towards the dominant side the reason that i say that is because i've taken like many of these tests like what kind of like kinky personality do you have and even though the feedback from other people, and it's usually from men, mm -hmm. is that they assume that I'm like a submissive person, is that I actually tend to um, like swing more towards the side of dominance. Mm -hmm. And actually that's kind of what matches how I feel internally, which is just that like, if I have a goal in mind or I have a dream or a vision, like I am so focused on achieving that. And I think that's a very like traditionally masculine quality mm -hmm. where you're ambitious, you're driven, you're confident, right. a lot of confidence in myself. I just believe in myself. I'm like my number one fan. What a horrible thing to do. Isn't it terrible? <laughs> no, it's the worst. <laughs> and so I just go for it, you know? And for me, that feels really natural. Right. And I think again, influenced by my mom, right? She's very much like that. I call her the dream weaver. I feel like everything that I have in my life, my mom has like dreamed up. That's very good. It's very nice. That's actually nice to hear. Yeah. Um, 
So with your more dominant tendencies, do you find that would you conceive of playing with uh, a male or a female? Absolutely. And in those scenarios, would you consider yourself switching based on the gender of the person you're playing with? Um, like, are you asking if I would be more receptive it's based that, on who I'm playing with? It's typically that I hear from, from a lot of uh, women that they tend to, to, to dom more with other women and yeah. some more with other men. But that's not a strict dichotomy because mm -hmm. it, it also depends on the, on the person that they're with. So some men are just naturally more submissive. Some women are yeah. naturally more dominant. But I know that there's a clash sometimes. So some people are like strictly with men. I will not submit. I will dominate. Mm -hmm. And strictly with women, I will submit and not dominate, or vice versa. W w whatever's the case. Have you considered it? Have you experienced yeah. it? What's? Where's, I, I have no idea what your take yeah. is on this. So that's why. That's such an interesting question. Like I, I think I've definitely reflected on this, and I find that like what attracts me. So I'm bisexual, but like so what attracts me to other women is that with women, mm. I feel like much more dominant and I feel like I take a lot more initiative with them to uh, like create a sexual situation or just like create mm -hmm. movement in the relationship but I used to think that was the case because it's so much more difficult to figure out like who is also interested in women when you're around other women, like mm. the default is heterosexuality. So you're not really sure with women, with women, mm. if you're a woman, mm. how anyone is going to react. So I think you have to sort of like take chances. You have to put yourself out there in order to find out what the feedback is if people are interested. But then I noticed that this is actually like my approach with men as well. Like where if I'm actually interested in a man, I'm not going to like play like damsel in distress and like try and like indirectly like show signs of interest like I will literally just like tell them I've been thinking about you I want you that's it it's actually really I don't know like I've gotten criticisms for it because people assume that there should be some level of game playing that happens in order to like hook somebody in or whatever like keep someone around and I'm like I think that's bullshit because I yeah. think you should just be honest with your feelings I mean, but that's just me I, <laughs> I agree I uh, do you personally I do really I, I used to be formerly when I was younger and much more sexist misogynistic I was threatened by women approaching me I didn't understand mm. it, and I didn't like it. And then <laughs> I didn't like it. Yeah, and then as Not I for me. as I progressed and as as I learned, as I became more feminist, um, I began to really enjoy the approach of of a woman um, wanting me. It just seemed so much more rewarding. Because right. because at this point, it's not that I'm trying to convince somebody. I'm not trying to coerce someone into being with me, which which is a lot of the game that many um, heterosexual males can can play. I'm not saying that all, they all do or that they all would, mm -hmm. but a lot of heterosexual men can play this game where it's like, 
they coerce somebody into sleeping with them. And then it's like an achievement. Yeah, and then it's an achievement. But really the achievement is so empty when you realize that the coercion was the was the thing that did it as opposed to that person wanting you. Oh yeah, I can imagine that. Yeah. And then the sexual experience for me is is, is just drastically different. Mm-hmm. Coercion uh, or manipulation, mm. if you don't like coercion as being too strong of a word, uh, when you're trying to convince somebody to, to sleep with you, to, to play with you, to whatever, is vastly different than when somebody approaches you and says, you know what, I want you. And then if you get the benefit and the privilege of hearing why they want you, it makes it that much better. Right. I, like, I like your personality. I like your eyes. I like your approach. I like your whatever it is. Yeah, you're amazing. Like, you're so smart. You you're actually, so yeah. impressive. You like, actually get a genuine, a genuine boost of self-confidence versus mm-hmm. a versus a sort of uh, self, self-deceptive form of self-confidence, which yeah. is... Uh, which is through trying to coerce people. Right. Oh, like I've duped you. I've like convinced yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. into having sex with me exactly. because you originally yeah. didn't want it. Like yeah. how sexy is you that? You didn't really know I'm a piece of shit and here I am coercing you <laughs> versus wow, this person genuinely likes yeah. something about me and that that enriches your life as a person because you will you will lose insecurities and you'll become more genuinely what it is that you're comfortable with. You no longer have to put on right. a show. So you that's confidence, are. right? Yeah. You it's genuine, act, genuine confidence. You yeah. yes, exactly. So whatever your like feelings and thoughts and intentions are, you act in accordance to those things. Yeah. And I think that, I think people like that. But I have been told that I come on a little too strong, or you know, like the messages I've heard lately are like, you you seem too sensitive or well no, in a very uh, genuine sense i just want to say fuck those people like who actually, are, who are giving you that feedback. i'm telling them the same thing i'm like yeah. listen dude you're clearly like i don't know you don't get me because yeah. you don't have that same like emotional depth or whatever it is to understand mm-hmm. that when i'm telling you like how i feel about something yeah. i'm actually connecting to my own emotions and like being real to my own experience instead yeah. of like trying to act like some fuck girl or like cool you know pretentious right. like person or whatever like trying to play a role and there shouldn't be like, i'm just not trying to do I mean, that I sorry know, i just can't it's not that there shouldn't be it's just okay personally I don't like the game playing. I don't like the chasing. I hate it. So oh my God. to hear that you're saying that you have a very honest, uh, forward approach. Yeah. Um, that's something that resonates well with me. I can understand why a lot of people are threatened by it because maybe they, th- I don't know, maybe they're not used to it. They think it's disingenuine or they think that you're, they build up some sort of reasoning why you would be like that. Right. Um, I don't know. I guess it's their loss because if they meet a genuine person who's like that from the get-go and they don't realize that that's something that's that's um you know truly rewarding to have somebody who can just be open be vulnerable right from the get-go without um having too many holds barred um then i guess it's their loss yeah so Um, like i think that that like takes you know, like an uh, emotionally sort of mature, like connected person to like sort of gel with or to not be thrown off by. But um, I've heard this about like people who are in polyamorous relationships is actually that they're like very sort of emotionally attuned to themselves and to their partners. So do you think that that is, that's the case? Do you think that 
people think, who are in polyamorous relationships are like very emotionally mature, connected. I've heard, I've heard a lot of different takes on this. Mm-hmm. From my perspective, having seen a lot of poly relationships, I think that that is the case. People are more emotionally in tune, more emotionally mm-hmm. available, more readily vulnerable. But this but, is like the real deal yeah. poly OGs. This isn't like people who are like putting on the title. No, but I also think that there's a lot of people that aren't prepared for it. And I think that people don't realize the amount of work that goes into it. Yeah. So even with the best intentions, you can always go in and, and mess things up. And that's why, you know, the as they say, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, yeah. right? Yeah. Is because people may want the best for themselves and others, but they're just not prepared for it because... One, they could be an experience. Two, they could be in an existing relationship with somebody and they're opening up. Uh, three, they don't know how to manage multiple relationships. Or four, they haven't assessed their real in, their, their, their intentions. They haven't yeah. introspected enough about yeah. why they like to engage in, in certain sexual activities with others and what it is that they want. And it's hard to be honest with yourself. It's hard to be honest with other people. It's hard to be vulnerable. It's... The, the thing that I'm getting a lot of is that polyamory is not easy. It isn't. <laughs> and you should be prepared to put in the work. And if you do, it might be really rewarding for the people that feel like monogamy isn't for them. I'm sure, there's, yeah. I'm sure that monogamy works for many people and for many people it doesn't. Just like polyamory, I think, works for a lot of people and for a lot of people it doesn't. It's just that I think that polyamory takes a lot more work because you're adding more variables to the equation. Spoken like a true statistician. Right? And you don't, and you don't, and do you don't you, have the background. I have two questions for you. Mm. I'm sorry. I can't help with my questions. Give me your questions. Let's hear your questions. All right. So one is, do you think... I don't know why I'm like jumping into this, but it's been on my mind. But like, do you think some people enter or try to negotiate for a polyamorous relationship while they're sort of already in a monogamous relationship as a way out? I think that could be an unconscious drive, yeah. Yeah? I think I've, I might have been in that situation myself. Oh, really? And I think that a lot of people might feel that, but I think if you have the right partner and if they're into the same things you are, it could work out and if you don't then it might just be something that you've been into that you've needed that you're not comfortable with in monogamy and if your partner's not into it then it's gonna suck because your partner's gonna want you and is gonna try to do things for you to feel comfortable namely sleeping with other people being emotionally attached to other people and if they're not comfortable and that's not what they want and they're doing it for you because it seems to be your proclivity and not theirs, then it's going to hurt both of you. So this is why I say it's really difficult for monogamous partnerships to open up if both people aren't on the same page. Whereas if two... Okay, but this is like, this is like, you know, current employers uh, asking for like a starting position but the person needs to have like five years of experience mm. already yeah so you know is it okay for people who maybe weren't like born with like a polyamorous like 
identity or whatever to like try somehow and what do you think is like the healthiest way like into it I think is I think it's um, I think it's possible I just based on anecdotes from what I've seen so far mm-hmm. is that the the opening up aspect of a relationship especially if it's been a while if it's if it's in the early stages of the relationship maybe it's not as difficult but imagine being married to somebody for several years and then all of a sudden saying, um, you know what, I'd like to open up the relationship. That's a very difficult conversation to have with somebody who you expected to have uh, you know, a lasting partnership with, maybe a family, maybe, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's whatever people expect when they get into these mm-hmm. situations. So there's many feelings like involved yeah, at that and, point. And it, of course people are going to question you on your, on your reasons. Why do you want to open up the relationship? And it could be that there's something not right with the relationship that you have. It could be that whatever, that there is something right and you both realize that you're both interested in having more partners. Who knows? I'm not, like, I don't know. I'm not an expert on this on this issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm listening to people. I'm trying to understand why people do these things and what it is about them that's similar to the, the you know sentiments that I have about it. Um, but it seems to me that opening up when there's an, when there's a problem in the relationship mm-hmm. is that if you treat it like a solution to the problem in your relationship it's might not work out in your favor right so you're treating like the symptom you're not treating the cause yeah so but it can work i'm sure it, it can, can work. work i'm sure there's stories out there where it's work where people yeah open up the relationship and they realize that for both of them it's exactly what they need it's exactly what they wanted and it made them closer and it made that relationship that much richer yeah i just haven't heard that story yet i uh, i'm trying to think i think like i'm biased in the sense of like being a couples therapist because i'm seeing people who are coming in with issues with with problems right so i'm not seeing like the success stories Mm. not originally anyways not initially um but i think one of the themes that I've seen, which is kind of what you're, I think, pointing to, is that sex and communication are so, like, intricately um, combined, like, interwoven. And, uh, like, if there is a problem in the sex in the relationship, then there's typically, like, a, a communication problem or someone's emotional needs are not being met. And... I think when people go outside of their relationship and try and find that solution there, they're not just looking for like a sexual relationship with somebody else. They're looking for a connection with somebody else that they don't feel in their relationship. Potentially. Yeah. yeah not always. Right. But yeah. I feel like I'm seeing this a lot. And so I guess like one of the curiosities that I have is like about polyamory in general is like, is it all about sex? No. Or is it about like, is it really about connection? Is it really like what is it about? So there's two things, and I ask this question of a lot of people that I interview: is um, you know, what are some of the common misconceptions about polyamory? What are some of the advantages, disadvantages? And on the one hand, people want to make sure that the you know the general public doesn't look at polyamory as just uh, you know um, perverts who are. Aren't um, they, though? <laughs> but here's the thing, right? It's like, is it all just perversion? Is it all just sex? Is it all just people that have 
a specific take yeah. on sexuality. Yeah, yeah. And on the one hand, it's like sexual positivity is is a thing that we strive for. So even if it is, even if that's the only reason that people get involved in polyamory is that they're just have a really strong libido and they want to fuck a lot, good, let them. Right. You know, let it be and there is a space for those kinds of people and yeah, let them have what they want to have. If it's all about sex, let it be all about sex. That's not okay. a problem. So, but yeah. There's a lot of people that aren't about that. There's a lot of people that, you know, want genuine connection, but they don't want to be limited to a single relationship. They want to be able to feel the freedom to explore that with somebody else. Because if you're in a relationship and you meet somebody outside of your relationship and you want to pursue that, who is to say that you shouldn't? But so in your, like, I mean, you're one person and so it's hard to ask you for like what the ratio is in general, but like in your experience, what would you say the ratio is for, you know, people looking to just fuck and then people who are actually like after the emotional connection that they feel to other people, maybe through sex, maybe through just having intimacy with other people outside of the relationship? Oh, I think I've I think I personally met... Um I've met probably a good half of each, so I've seen... Like a 50-50? Yeah, it, it feels like that. It certainly feels like that. Um, I mean, it's hard to say because the people that are involved emotionally are also very open sexually about what they what it is that they want and like. Okay. But I've met enough people that say, you know what, I'm not interested in just fucking. I'm not interested in just having sex. I'm not interested in just having that sexual experience to gratify some perverse notion of partaking in an orgy in a threesome in some sort of like sexually pr promiscuous activity I want it to be meaningful I want to be able to engage myself and engage all my senses I want to be able to do, the, do this for emotional reasons as well so I've met enough people on both both sides of it to to know that it's, it's dynamic and it varies and I've mm -hmm. also known enough people who have switched you know they go through different periods of their lives some people sometimes want a deep emotional connection with one or multiple people uh, platonic ro uh, romantic sexual or otherwise um, and I've met enough people who go through periods of just bombastic fucking and they just want to have every dirty nasty possible sexual experience they want all their orifices filled they want every part of them <laughs> touched yeah, and that's Ears, yeah, everything. that's not a problem. If you're safe and you're consensual and you communicate, uh, why not? You know, right. have it. Have your have your your sexual fantasies fulfilled. Have your emotional fantasies fulfilled. I think people people vary dynamically on that, depending on what what like where are you in your life? Did you just get dumped by someone? Are you um, are you looking for love? Are you looking to get fucked until you forget your name? Like, where are you? In your life, because Has that ever happened where you just forget. I you can forget a lot. You can be, you can go, you can get so deep in 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 some kind of fuck space, subspace, whatever space, where you can forget where you are in the world, mm -hmm. and it can be beautifully rewarding. Yes. And so at the heart of it, it sounds like polyamory, even if it's not like uh, practiced, has 
ideally as maybe one would like or the community would like is about being sex positive and love positive at the same time yeah yeah it's yeah. about enabling accepting supporting validating all those feelings including all those human feelings yeah including things like jealousy which just because you're polyamorous doesn't mean you don't experience and you do right. and it sucks and yeah. it sucks just like when you're monogamous right and it sucks to see your partner and maybe be with somebody else those are things you have to deal with and you negotiate with and you communicate mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's that's the one thing i've maintained it's not any easier being poly it's kind of it's still the there. same compounded with interest yeah <laughs> compounded with interest so then um i want to ask you one last thing is okay. um where where do you see yourself um on your journey i mean you you interview people you talk to them you do research on on, on sexuality you yeah. seem to have a kind of an interest in these communities maybe from an academic stance uh and possibly a personal stance where uh <laughs> don't smile at me <laughs> <laughs> i'm just saying like, don't say personal with a smile well <laughs> <laughs> i just want to know um yeah you know because i ask you a question and then you go academies on uh on the on True. the people you know um nobody uh, and this is this is my my little pet theory is that nobody goes into academia without some kind of personal interest yeah yeah you, maybe you i'm just a pervert who knows well are you a pervert i think we're all perverts like i just no, think not all of us you know what i really like i genuinely think that like everything under the sun is like quite human so whatever you're going through whatever you're doing whatever you're desiring i think it's just all very human there's a lot of variability within I'm that i'm gonna get more intense with you I want, I want you to make eye statements. Get away from yeah, <laughs> Don't yeah. Pull out yeah, yeah. Get away from these. This like we are all like this. But you did, okay, you didn't ask me your question. Okay, I'm happy to answer my, it. Okay, my question is with mm -hmm. eye statements is. Yeah. What's your interest in, in poly kink BDSM? Your personal interest. Yeah. What do you What do you want out of it? What do you envision? Is there Is there a fantasy that you you play yourself in? Is there something that is. Um, that, that you want that maybe mm -hmm. th these communities offer? So, okay, so quite simply, um, I was working with my own therapist uh, last year. So in 2017, I had a very tragic loss in my family and I started working with a therapist. I hadn't been to a therapist before, which is funny because I was training to become a therapist at the same time. Right. But this was a very moving and changing experience for me in that I became the client and started thinking through some of my own personal baggage and some of my own shit. And I remember like one of the, one of the most crucial, important, life-changing questions that I asked myself in therapy with my therapist was, who am I living for? Like, where are all of my decisions, my actions actually coming from? Like, where did I get these beliefs from? And so for me, that question changed my life in the sense that I started thinking, being very critical about how I live and what I'm doing, what my actions are, what my beliefs are, right. and what they're informed by. And asking myself very critical questions about 
how much I'm allowing existing beliefs that are like formed literally by like other people, people who I haven't even met maybe like centuries ago about how I'm supposed to live my own life. And for me, it's really a question of liberation and choosing, even if it's like experimenting at first and not being like a permanent thing, just being able to like experiment and break away from and deconstruct like social messages about what I'm supposed to do and how I'm supposed to do it and who I'm supposed to do it with. Right. That's basically what it comes down to. And I think Polly and Kink kind of challenge those mainstream messages, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's been really sort of my pull towards those concepts and right. those lifestyles. You Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. You want to see what it has to offer, it seems. You want to see how certain norms are broken down. And you want to exercise your freedom, which I think is entirely intelligible, especially for somebody like me who values freedom above all else. Right. Well. Yes. This has been fun. <laughs> well, <laughs> we've uh, created a tasty meal here with <clears throat> butter. Yeah, a sample platter. Um, cooking with butter <laughs> and we've been eating nuts by the way this I'm, whole time i hope that my nut eating hasn't, <laughs> hasn't fucked up the interview terribly maybe you crunch, can hear crunch. my chewing yeah crunch yeah. crunch mm, here's the crunch of an almond get ready <laughs> there it is folks cheers you heard it well, here thank first. you so much cat and thanks pat i hope that you'll be a continuing uh, voice on the podcast at some point I'd love it. This is so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Slušate intelektualnu erekciju, mesto na kome govorimo o seksualnosti da bi stimulisali vaše razmišljanje. Hey, hey, hey. Butter, and you are now cooking.